Welcome to the Substantial Life Podcast, hosted by Jok Forster and Pierre Leroux. In this episode, we will be talking about goodness. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Okay, Pierre, our second episode. So, in the previous episode, we discussed morality and the fact that it is good to think about your morality. We looked at some different ways in which people think about right and wrong. And we also spoke about the good life. Now, that is something we left unexplained in that episode with a purpose. We are dedicating this episode to thinking about if we mean something is good, what do we mean by that? And then by extension, if we speak about a good life, how ought one to live? How do you look at that? So, yeah, Job, I think we can start with a, a definition of what is good and how do we come to know what is good. So, I think we should begin here. We are people and human beings before we are philosophers. I think that's an important distinction because before we even start asking what is good or what is evil, we naturally have already decided that some things are good and some things are evil and we experience it as such in our lives. So to come a bit closer to what we mean when we say some things are good and some things are not, because we will inevitably do so through our lives, is I think goodness can be defined as that which is becoming what one is meant to be. And then evil would be going contrary to that goal or purpose. So we as human beings have a certain humanness, as a philosopher would say. We have a certain nature, you know, a certain way of being or type of thing we are. And when we follow that nature, which has a certain purpose or a certain way of being, then it is a good thing. And when we do not, it is an evil. Now, to give an example to illustrate the idea of goodness and evil, just think about someone who's a soccer player. Now, all of us know most of the rules of soccer. The basic aim is it's two teams who are running after a ball with the purpose of getting the ball into the goal. So if we say someone is a good soccer player, we mean that this person is able to help his team win the game of soccer, be that either offensively or defensively. Note, we don't say someone is a good soccer player only because he has good ball control, even though that is part of being a good soccer player. And so if you achieve the goal of soccer by helping your team scoring a goal, then you are a good soccer player. Your ball skills is only helpful insofar as it helps towards that. And this is helpful when we think about morality in the sense that there are certain characteristics of a good life, but that isn't necessarily the biggest thing of a good life or the most important thing. Yeah, because thinking that someone who only has good ball skills in soccer is the best um, soccer player would be confusing the secondary good of helping you to score a goal with somebody who's actually good at scoring goals, which is the primary aim of playing soccer. The fact of the matter is, soccer is a man-made thing, and so it's often very easy to see goals in something that is man-made, because we put goals into the things we do. Now, is it possible to think about this idea of purpose, or the good of something being according to its purpose, in terms of stuff that are independent of humans? Pierre, do you think we can see this in nature, outside of human society, the idea of purposes? Yodrop, I actually think we can. So usually throughout our life, we would speak about certain things like a dog being a good dog or a tree being a good tree. 
Now, I think that goes further than just dogs being used by human beings for certain purposes or trees being used by humans for certain purposes like, let's say, farming or something like that. I think we can see a bit further as human beings that when a tree grows, even if you look at little children, they'll naturally say, well, that's a beautiful tree or that's a nice tree or that's a good tree, you know. And that's because naturally we as human beings can see certain goodness and certain things. So we see a tree and to be honest, I think we see a bit more than just a tree. <laughs> we, we don't just see, oh, trees grow. We see further than that because we are rational beings. We see that, oh, the tree that's growing is actually a good thing. And that's independent of whether there's humans or not. If no human would have lived, trees would still be growing. And that would still have been a good thing for trees to grow. Mm. And, and what's interesting about this is this is not a cultural thing. If you show an image of a bunch of dead trees to almost any human on this earth, they will feel some sort of negative feeling. Contrary to if you have a big tree growing with lots of fruit next to water, that generally gives us a, this feeling that this is a good thing. Yeah, so naturally as human beings, we apprehend trees. We come to know what a tree is. And sometimes we even come to know there's this thing walking in front of us. It has two legs. It has feathers. It lays eggs. So it's a chicken. And we come to know what chickens are. And you can see this especially with kids. So naturally we come to know that, well, if the chicken isn't laying eggs or the tree isn't bearing fruit, well, that's a bad tree or that's a bad chicken. And in the same way, we come to know human nature and what humans do and what humans from that should and should not do. And here I think is where the difference lies though. Human beings can choose to either fulfill these natural things, help them fulfill, like we can help to protect chickens or, you know, water trees or so on. And we can in that way change things either for the better or for the worse of these things. And in that, there's a distinction. There's a distinction between what trees are in themselves and when they're doing well or when they're doing badly, right? So what is good and what is bad for them. But then there's a second level. There's the human freedom that chooses to either help this along or prohibit it. So when we choose to do the good using our moral freedom or moral volition, then we do a moral good. And when we don't, we do a moral evil. Or when we go against this nature of the type of thing we're working with or against our own nature. Now, what do we mean by nature? Now, I think the philosopher Jay Buczeczewski really makes the distinction about nature quite well. So Buczeczewski has been a professor at Texas University in philosophy and in government for about 40 years now, and he specializes in ethics and political philosophy, and especially their interaction with religion and theology. So Buczeczewski, in his Resurrection of Nature, makes three distinctions on what we mean by the word nature. So if I say, well, this is human nature, or this is the nature of a tree, or the nature of a chicken, then what I mean by the word of nature, by the word nature, would be either that that what belongs to something intrinsically, so innately, 
for example, for human beings, that would be stuff like, well, it's natural for human beings to have hair or to have eyes. Now, the second one would be what is characteristic. Well, it's natural for human beings to form societies. It's natural for human beings to have a sense of humor. And the third one, and this is where moral goodness lies, and this would be what is full and appropriate according to the type of thing it is. So we would say it's natural for human beings to be free. It's natural for human beings to do good things. And in that lies moral goodness. And we should use our moral volition in order to achieve this goodness. A good example would be that we as human beings need to eat. That's a, the type of thing we are. We are humans and humans need to eat. Now, when we take three examples, somebody who never has food, somebody who sometimes has food, and somebody who has enough food. The person who does not have food is lacking in one of the essential attributes of being a human. They lack food security, they lack being able to eat. And therefore, we'll see that that is bad for them. So naturally, as human beings, we see, okay, humans are the type of things to eat. A human that cannot eat, now that's bad. When we choose to help this person, we're doing a moral good. Then somebody who sometimes has food, so there's somewhat food security, but not a lot, then we would say this person's need is less. Why? Because the privation, the, the lacking of food is less. And then somebody who always has food isn't in any lacking of food. Therefore, giving them food is not really a moral thing. It's not really doing a moral good. Um, so only when you give to somebody who lacks food, you're doing a moral good. Now, take this with moral volition for yourself. So when I choose to eat enough so that my body is healthy, I do a moral good. Why? Because I am fulfilling the type of thing I do. It's appropriate for me to eat as much food as I just need. When I eat too little food or too much food, then I am actually doing a moral evil because I choose, that is where the moral component comes in, against the type of thing I am. And that is where we would say, well, that's a moral evil. And that's why classically people have called gluttony a moral evil. And, and so if we're thinking about this, the metaphysical good or the good in and of itself and the moral good where there is choice involved, we are called to do the metaphysical good for other things as far as we can. That is our moral calling. So let me rephrase that. We are called to let other things live according to their purpose as full as they can. And that would be the best way of us to live. So... I think that's actually exactly part of what Genesis says. So as Christians, we believe that God gave human beings a calling as, as stewards. And part of being a steward is actually helping things to fulfill their purpose, the type of thing they are. An important thing is this gives us great backing for environmentalism in a healthy sense. Environmentalism that acknowledges that people have certain there are a certain type of being and that needs to be helped. So we need to acknowledge social issues. We, in our next episode about human flourishing, we will look at the different aspects of human nature. What are the different types of 
purposes in human nature that we can that we need to fulfill but we should also acknowledge that other beings like gazelle and trees have a good we as humans are called to bring out the best in each of the other animals or things now in the book of psalms the book of psalms starts off with a metaphor which is very interesting it says the man who walks in the ways of the lord is like a tree planted next to waters so what the book is saying is it's using the metaphor of a tree being as much tree as it can be and saying that there is a specific life a man can live that is also like that on the contrary there is in isaiah in isaiah 1 there is speaking about men who worship idols are like a tree next to a dry riverbed so there is a sense in which a man can live flourishing like a tree or not flourishing like a dead tree although humankind is much more complicated like trees we don't merely need water and food to survive we have many other needs but the metaphor works very well yeah and then there's also a difference in moral value so that cuts down into what job earlier mentioned metaphysical value now what we just mean by metaphysic is that metaphysics is the study of the nature of reality we merely mean when we say something is a metaphysical good we mean well it's a good in itself it's a good in the type of thing it is and that we just try to distinguish from stuff which are moral goods and moral goods are just because we have human freedom that they're good or not now when we choose as human beings to do certain moral goods then we are able to choose according to a gradient of moral goods so cutting a tree in half might be to some extent a moral evil if we do it too much and it might be a moral evil if we don't do it we might have a nice old tree but it's dead already and our neighbors are cold then it would in fact be a moral obligation to cut down the tree and give to your neighbors that would be fulfilling our moral duty but cutting the tree and then giving wood to your neighbors or cutting a tree for any reason is completely different than cutting a human being in half so we can clearly naturally as human beings apprehend that certain actions are good and certain actions are evil according to the type of things they are and then us either choosing to do them or not do them now i think Butchacheski again has quite something interesting to say about it. So Butchacheski says that only by mature self-examination can we discover that the good of the soul is found in the rational activity by which we as human beings understand ourselves and order our lives according to purposes. This is our natural good simply in the sense that in no other understanding of a full and appropriate development can our souls come to rest they cannot rest in pleasure in honor or in any other candidates so to paraphrase this quote butchevsky is saying that the only way in which we can really understand what is good and honorable for a man to do is to orient our life according to the purpose of a thing if you understand the purpose of a man you can do what is good for that man to fulfill that purpose if you understand the purpose of an animal you can do what is good towards fulfilling the purpose of that animal yeah and it's precisely in this examination of the good and in the striving after the good that two things happen we discover what is good for ourselves and for others and thereby start to strive after this good 
And in the striving after this good, we actually become good people, or at least become better people. So uh, this is basically what the philosopher Aristotle around 300 BC said. He's quite a great Greek philosopher. And he'd said that practicing virtue, that's basically what doing human goods, we become virtuous. So the idea is by living a certain type of life, if you remember back to Buczeski's quote in the first episode, living a certain good life and in the context of good life, these goods start to change us and we become better people by practicing them. Mm. And Pierre, you are making an excellent point in that we do not merely be good now just at one moment. By seeking to know the good and to do it, we become better and better as time goes on. Our habits improve, we start having better understanding, we are learning wisdom. And in learning wisdom, we become good people. We should never have this expectation that one can just suddenly be a good person. That does not happen in any way or any regard. It becomes by careful examination and judgment of your experiences and previous people's experiences. So Job and I are Christians and we believe God exists and that God is actually the ultimate end to which we as human beings strive. We are made in his image and we are made for relationship and intimacy with him. So thereby, by pursuing God as our chief end, we are fulfilling what we as human beings ought to do. And in fact, I think all of our secondary goods, stuff like eating, sleeping, loving one another, all of these things are ultimately orientated towards God, thereby in Pursuing these things and fulfilling them in their correct place and time and way, we're actually doing goods and in those ways are worshipping God. But ultimately, relationship with Him would be the fulfillment of what human nature is in its fullness. And then to know you, the one true God, that is eternal life. And in that pursuit, we fulfill what we as human beings are fully made for. And what's very interesting about this is this is why the prophets, if you've ever read the prophets in the Old Testament, they are very strongly against idols. Now, for most of human history, people loved to make with their hands a statue and some sort of God that they worshipped. And then they did sacrifices or various rituals. And these idols often represented some part of reality. It might have represented fertility or the harvest or anything of that sort. Now, what an idol actually is, is taking a good, which is an, a secondary good, like fertility or the harvest, those are good things, and elevating them to divine status. The reason the prophets had an issue with idolatry is not because of some strange religious zealotry. It's because they saw that people were replacing a ultimate good for a secondary good. And we see this mistake of taking a secondary good and making it the main good quite clearly when, for example, a university celebrates things like prestige or honor above education. Or if a government rather seeks wealth and economic welfare above the welfare of its people. The aim of a government is to help people flourish. And when they do not do that, when they seek some other secondary aim, it does great damage. Now, in the same way, when we as humans take an idea we have made with our own hands and we make that the main purpose of life, 
then we will inevitably lead to destruction. Yeah, that's basically what Paul says in Romans 1 verse 21 to 23. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. That's basically exchanging what we know to be the greatest good at least as Christians, and then exchanging it for a lesser good. And don't think that we in the modern age are so enlightened that we don't have any idols anymore. The idols of the modern man are not things we build with our hands. We're not bowing down to statues. We bow down to ideas. We bow down to ideas like communism and capitalism. You're either an environmentalist or a libertarian. You're either left or right. These are all examples of things which if elevated too highly, become an idol in our lives. And in the end, that is just a pursuit of a secondary good, which is not going to lead to a flourishing life. And I think the philosopher C.S. Lewis has a nice way how he pins it down. He says, in the dark, everyone looks the same. But in the light, you can really see their individuality. Now, I paraphrased him a bit, but the idea is that as we become more the type of thing we are made individually as, we become more full and it's appropriate for us and therefore moral good. Take the example of an athlete. A gifted athlete one day decides to become slothful. The one thing that put this person, or one of the main things at least, that made this person so unique was the fact that they're gifted as being an athlete. And they rather squander it and throw it away and just become just another person. Now, all people are of moral worth and an infinite moral worth in their, as we believe as Christians, being made in the image of God. However, they start to squander the things that make them especially unique. And that we would say, say is a moral evil. And as we go through life and we start to throw away these moral goods and pursue these moral evils, we actually become less of the humans that we could be. And we start to become less that we, we ought to be. So we want to leave you with an encouragement before we go to our questions um, that we have received from our listeners. Jesus Christ says, the whole of the law is summed up in the following. Love God with your whole heart and soul and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. So he said, desire what is best for your neighbor and do that. And so I want to encourage you, those neighbors that you have, the people that you meet that are at arm's length, desire to actually fulfill what is best for them and do that. Don't merely desire it in your mind. Actually think, consider and act. Okay, Pierre. Um, so we received some questions and I'm very thankful. Thank you everyone who has sent in your questions via the Instagram or the WhatsApp or the Facebook. It is really helpful to ask and it is also very interesting things to discuss. So we received two questions. The first one is asking, so the question was, how does morality apply to a soldier in a Christian context? Is everything justified? Well, no, I, I don't think everything is justified. Well, when, as a soldier, you're fighting against other human beings, they are human beings. So in as far as they're human beings, one should still, as Jesus says, love your enemies, you should still 
pursues to some extent their goods. Now, let's take a far-reaching example, um, or far-off example. When people are at war, there are certain things called crimes against humanity. There are certain crimes which are, let's say, unforgivable or, or unjustifiable in any context. And the question would be, by what standard is this measured? And I think that standard would be human nature or the type of things we are. So when a soldier decides to do certain atrocities against those who are not participating in the war, then that's a moral evil. Or if a soldier goes beyond when somebody is shooting at him and defending himself, um, then he would be going beyond what is morally good. Because now, for take the example, somebody starts shooting at him, they surrender, and now they are disarmed. Deciding to shoot then would be immoral, because you're shooting people who are disarmed, who are no longer capable of doing you harm. This is an excellent example of how we can use what we discussed in this episode. The purpose of a soldier is to defend his nation, and to fight against tyranny under the authority of the respective government insofar as the government is just. A soldier is not called to help injustice, but where a government is just, the soldier is only called to defend their nation or to fight against tyranny. Wars against humanity never help in that regard. They do not fulfill that purpose of a soldier. They are merely cruel. I would also say that if a man is in a government which is an oppressive tyranny or is waging unjust wars, I do think the soldier should take into account that he is a human before he is a soldier. And as a human, he should not support an unjust government. So in the... And for Christians, we believe that all governments are under the authority of God. So for any soldier who is fighting you are primarily responsible for your actions before God, before you're even responsible for your actions before a government. So if a government commands you to commit certain atrocities, then it would be immoral to go through with them. And at least Christianity gives some, some consolation to the soldier who will most likely receive the charge of treason, that the government who commanded these things will be under strict judgment by God. And that he who did not com commit these atrocities would then actually have done something adm admirable. Think, for example, you might frown upon a soldier who deserts the army or who does not follow commands. But would you think that that was really so unjust or so uncalled for if this specific soldier was actually a soldier fighting under the Nazis? Then sadly you would think, oh wait, that would have been a good thing for him to, to desert or even to fight against that government. And that's because, as Job said, we're humans before we are soldiers. We only fight wars or should only fight wars insofar as it's to promote good for human beings. Because sometimes force is necessary. Take the example of having to defend yourself. Sometimes you will need to use force to defend yourself or those who you love. And not defending yourself would actually be immoral. If a guy starts attacking an innocent bystander and you do nothing, 
people will frown upon you because you're not doing what you ought to do, and that is to help. Okay, um, that is good. We also had another question. So the question was, we are speaking about morality, but is it actually helpful to speak about morality at all? Isn't morality based on the environment you grow up in? Is it not based on the right and wrong of the community that you were raised? Because people have such different perspectives in different cultures and in different groups. I think it's good to to point out the differences in different cultures and to think about how this influences people and how we have different moral beliefs to some extent. However, the question to some extent is trying to promote a form of moral relativism, or at least asks the question about moral relativism. Now, moral relativism just says that what's right for me is right for me, and what's right for you is right for you. But to some extent, we would see through all human societies that there's this golden thread of moral values and duties. And these moral values and duties are shared amongst all cultures, stuff like it is immoral to murder. Now to murder would be the taking of an, is the willful taking of an innocent human life. Now different cultures might define what is an innocent human being or what is the willful taking a bit different and that we call rationalization. So some cultures might have differences on when is it murder or who are really human beings or What is a human being really? Or this class of citizens are real human beings and these other slaves are not as human. You see, this dehumanization or stuff like that are always a form of of rationalization. And I think in that we find where the moral differences are between societies. But the moral sameness is explained by us being human beings and observing these objective moral values and duties that we have. If there aren't objective moral values and duties then there would be no such thing as moral progress. If you think it is better to not be a Nazi, then you should to some extent believe in objective moral values and duties. If you think it is good not to murder innocents, then you should hold to some objective moral values and duties. And fundamentally, relativism is self-defeating. When somebody says what's true for you is true for you, what's true for me is true for me, That statement should be true for all of us. When somebody says, don't push your moral values on me, they're pushing a certain moral value on you. So there's always, to some extent, an objective standard for moral values and duties. And what I would suggest is that it's found within the type of things we are. And that this objective thing we all experience and can evaluate. Just some encouragement for those who might feel like, well, cultures actually have such different moralities. If you read the books and the things said by different cultures, universally adultery, as in not honoring your marriage vow, is universally frowned upon. Even if it's in the Epic of Gilgamesh, which was written in the Near East thousands of years ago, or be it in the Hindu Vedas that you find um, in the Indian subcontinent or in Chinese wisdom literature or in Greek philosophy, The only differences between the cultures are the rationalizations. When is it really adultery? Or maybe there's a specific class of citizens who may commit adultery and be forgiven. Most often, 
what we perceive as differences in moral values are actually just differences in etiquette and tradition and law. Etiquette is just how you should act towards a person to not be rude. Now, etiquette isn't a moral thing, whether or not you bow when you get into a room, whether or not you kiss people on the lips or on the forehead or not at all. Those are communication things. They're not moral things. Laws as well are practical and may or may not reflect the morality of a country. More often than not, a country would have its morality that the people practice and that the people believe in, and they will have the laws, and they may or may not correspond. And then also tradition, which also differs among countries, but the internal moral values is universal among humans. And as we have argued here, moral values and duties find their, their foundations within reality, and we believe ultimately within God, who is the perfectly moral being. So ultimately, morality would have an objective standard. But even Greeks such as Aristotle or, or Plato believed to some extent in objective moral values and duties, and they were not Christians. If you have any thoughts on our answers to these questions, or do not feel we answered them sufficiently, please feel free to either send us personal messages, to leave a comment or a question on our various social media platforms. Thank you for listening to the Substantial Life podcast. If you like this episode, please share this episode, leave a comment or ask us a question on Instagram, Facebook or Twitter. You can also leave us a review wherever you find your podcasts. We will answer questions we receive from our listeners every episode. And remember, seek wisdom wherever it might be found.